Hello, I'm Mackenzie, and this is my Jesus story. I first came to Winona State in the fall of 2020. Definitely got into like all the drinking and partying and not good. <laughs> I had this friend, she was, she had always been a girl of faith and she invited me to Passion in Atlanta. Tens of thousands of people just on fire for Jesus. And it was such an experience for me. Um, when we were leaving, I had decided to give my life to Jesus and to really change and be intentional about changing and reading my Bible. I get back and I changed, but for two days, Homework got the best of me, my roommate got the best of me, and I just said, whatever, like it's not gonna change my life that much. And then that weekend, I woke up and I was just like, why? Like, why am I doing this? That was the first time where I really started talking to God, and I never really experienced that. Then, that next Thursday, I was walking to class, crossing the street in the crosswalk, and I was hit by a car. I had several skull fractures, traumatic brain injury, still have a brain injury, and long-lasting effects. Um, broken tibia, fibula, and clavicle on my right side. Mom got the call at work, she's a teacher, and she thought I was having car troubles, and um, she finds out that they're airlifting her daughter. And my mom asked, what bones in her skull and the doctor says all of them her skull is like an eggshell went into skull surgery right away um, normally it's a six-hour surgery and they take they cut out your whole skull and all the fractures and they take it over to the table and put it back together with pins and plates. And he said, um, my depressed fracture was pressing on a major vein in my brain and him and his team were prepared when he lifted that up to, for me to bleed out in seconds. Um, but he said, when he lifted that piece up, all the little pieces, all the fractures, it just clicked back together like a puzzle. And he said he'd never seen anything like it. And it went from, again, a six-hour surgery to a two-hour surgery. He told me he doesn't really know why it went that way or how. Hearing that looking me dead in the eyes and telling me I don't know why you're here. It still makes 
my heart drop and he told me to find my purpose and that's what I've been trying to do since. Three days after um, skull surgery, so January 23rd, my eyes had been so swollen that I couldn't open them, but I felt the presence of God hovering over my bed, just like a huge giant with me, just like reaching out his arms. I just said in a tired voice, God is with me. And from that day on, that's when I said yes to him. From then on, my sufferings have had a, a purpose in teaching me how to go to him. A few months later, as it kind of died down a little bit, I was still learning how to walk, learning how to think, have a full conversation. There were nights where I was asking him why, like, why me? And that I didn't know, but now I realize why. It's to strengthen my relationship with him. I'm still learning, definitely. I am not perfect, definitely humbled me. I needed to be humbled and I needed to be moved out of that environment. So he allowed it so I would get out of that environment for a year. And I think that's why I cannot be moved in my faith right now is because I spent so much time with him. I'm rooted in him. He's the desire of my heart. There is a light at the end of the long, dark tunnel. And he is in everything. He's doing everything. He's hovering over you. He's with you. Let the goodness of God show in my, my testimony. Yeah, amen. I watched that two days ago and uh, just in tears and tears again, um, thinking about it and thinking about you. And this day, Easter 2023, and I want to put a date on it and I want you to put a date on it. Daniel said it when we got in here, but isn't it amazing that over 2,000 years later, we're still telling this story that Mackenzie, and I want you to keep her story just kind of brewing in the background. Put it on the, the stove top of your soul, just on the back burner, put it on simmer, let it sit there because her story is this story. Easter 2023. People, millions of people have lived, believed, and died for this, believing this. And I'm one of them. And I'm going to tell it to you again today, but I'm not here to convince you. Now, why would I say that? I'm a pastor. <laughs> because I can't. I can just tell you that it's true. And I can trust that there is resurrection power in the room this morning, in this time and space, in 2023. That's the wildest thing to think about. That's why we know this isn't just any other book. The story 
continues to speak and continues to pursue us. But before there were flowers, pastels, bunnies, and eggs, and pastel colors, and beautiful tables set, which I'm sure you guys have stuff planned for today, there was an inky darkness. There was a dark canvas that all of those colors needed to be painted on. And I want to go there first before we do the normal thing where we talk about the fact that he is risen. We must talk about the darkness. We're going to look at a couple of familiar passages. Some of them you maybe haven't heard them in a long time. And we're going to trust that the Spirit can do His thing in your heart this morning. They're going to be on the screen. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be kind of jumping through just a couple of places in Luke, starting in 22. But let's go straight to the darkness. Let's go there. Let's look at the canvas before we see any color. Luke 22, verse 54. They seized Him. They led Him away. Brought Him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. Luke, with the Holy Spirit's guidance, chose those words very carefully. Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard. I've stood at this house before in Israel, and they sat down together. Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light, looked closely at him, she said, this guy was with him. He denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. An hour later, another one kept insisting, this man was certainly with him. He's a Galilean. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And you could say he went out into the darkness. Peter's darkness. If we could hear him today, I plan on sitting down with him, by the way. I don't know if you can get in line. I'm first. <laughs> There's so many people I want to talk to. And they're alive and well, and they are a part of a great cloud of witnesses today, and they would tell you, run, you run after him. But if we could listen to Peter today and he could tell us about that night, he would say, oh, that night. It's a blur, but it brings back so many memories. Now redeemed memories, but difficult memories. We were at Passover table together. Judas was still there. In a moment, he left in a hurry. Jesus had said some interesting things about the Passover elements, things that we weren't used to hearing. Judas left. Then we were in the garden. It was late. It was so late. I tried to stay awake. He asked me to stay awake with him, but my eyes were heavy with a sadness that I couldn't put words to. I don't know if you've ever felt that kind of sadness. I have. Why are you sad? I don't know. I couldn't stay awake. Then the temple guard came. And don't think that there were like 10 people. There were 200. 200. 
came with torches. And if you're in Jerusalem, you can see the Garden of Gethsemane and you can look up the valley and see the city walls. And as my friend Brandon told us the last time we were in Israel, you would have seen them coming. You could have run. Jesus, you could have run. Here come 200 guys with torches and swords. And they came. And Peter said, I wanted to kill somebody. I wanted to kill somebody. I swung a sword. I only ended up getting his ear because I'm not very good at it. And Jesus put it back on, told me to put the sword away. Where did that come from? What was I thinking? So I ran. I ran as fast as I could. We all ran. Nobody stayed with him. When I was running, though, I stopped. Where am I going? There's a part of me that still wanted to know what was going to happen. And so I stopped and I turned around and I followed the torches. It was pretty easy. I had a hunch where they would take him, Caiaphas, his house. There's a crowd. I hear shouting. I see people standing around. It was cold. It was different kind of cold, though, not just in the air, but something that ran down your spine that just made you sense evil. And so I tried to warm myself. I stood around with people I didn't know, people that were a part of this group, and I, I held my hands over the fire. And then that slave girl, man, she just wouldn't leave it alone. Hey, I know this guy. I know this guy. He was with him. I don't know him. Some time passed. Somebody else noticed me. You're one of them, aren't you? I am not one of the followers of Jesus. Another hour. Hey, your accent. It's, it's northern Galilee. I can hear that twang. You're one of them. And the other texts tell us that not only did he say, you don't know what you're talking about, he cursed, brought back his old fishing days, fired off a slew of bleep, bleep, bleep. I don't know what you're talking about. And he said it was like it was on cue. And even to this day, I hate the sound of a rooster. I hate the sound of a rooster. The rooster crowed. And it was almost like all of the people that were crowded around to watch the trial just parted like the sea. And that's when I saw it. And I think Peter's words to us today would be to look with him because I saw him, Jesus. Well, he, he saw me. He saw all of me. He saw my shame. He saw my hurt. He saw the darkness. Peter, what do you mean? I mean, it was more than eye contact. It was a seeing, a knowing, nothing hidden. Everything exposed. Peter's words, if you have faith to believe them today, can be said in this way. Jesus looks into our darkness. The look we need the look. 
You may think, no, I don't want that. Look, you and I need this moment with Jesus. We want him to look at us, even at our worst, at our moment of betrayal, a place of absolute lostness at the end of us, but at the beginning of what he is about to do. Easter means nothing without this look. Nothing. If you haven't had this look with Jesus, Easter means nothing. It's a piercing gaze. It goes beyond the division of our soul and our spirit to secret places, to Sheol, to hell itself, past prison gates, past shackles, past years of destructive living and sadness, right to the core of who we are. And to him, it's holy ground. To us, it's shame and failure, but to him, it's sacred space to look at you. Because it's in that beautiful moment when he looks at you and his look isn't one of condemnation. He's not saying, I told you so. How could you? You couldn't even hold out for one night for me? That's not what he's doing. That's not how he looks at you. He looks at you and he stares into eternity past, present, and future and says, I know. I know. I understand. And I love you. I love you anyway. I have always loved you. It's why I'm doing this. Peter can't believe it though. Not yet. He's too much like me. Self-achieving, proud, hard-headed, cold-hearted. So he leaves out into what? Darkness. And he weeps bitterly. But the eyes of the God-man are open. He stays. He stays Right there, not because the ropes that they were using were so strong, not because the high priest's palace is that fortified, but because he wants to be there. He wants to be there. The events that lead up to Easter morning don't just happen to Jesus. They were planned before the foundation of the world. Isn't that crazy to think about? Revelation tells us that before the foundation of the world, this was planned. And that does break our brains a little bit. And that's okay. We don't have categories for this kind of plan or this kind of love. But it's important to understand for what happens next. Both for Peter and for Jesus. Because there's one more thing about this look. The look into the darkness where he looks at you and he sees your sin, he sees your betrayal, he sees your rejection of him, you running from him, and he sees what is required to win you back. And he doesn't flinch. Not even a minute, not even a second. He does not flinch. He looks head on. So we're going to jump ahead in the story to Luke 23, verse 44. Jesus is on the cross. This is the moment when the darkness looks back, stares him down. Jesus is looking into the darkness and the darkness is like, oh yeah, watch this. Verse 44, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three. This isn't Luke just trying to tell you that the sky got dark. 
This is literary. This is spiritual. This is the word of God. This is the Holy Spirit trying to tell you something about the darkness, a kind of darkness that there was back in Genesis and a chaos that was there that needs God to do something. Darkness is over the land because the sun's light failed. You know, he's using literary words there because the sun was still shining. He's trying to tell you something. God is trying to tell us something. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. So I thought of something after I read this this week. And, you know, for a few years now, because you preach on the same passages and you're like, man, what am I going to say now? But now it's, uh, I am starting to understand, I feel like God has started to peel things back. And I, what the way you do it is you let the text hit you again. (laughs) You let it, you sit in it for your own heart. And as I sat there, I had a question. Where is Peter? Where's Peter? We don't know. There's no Bible verses to tell us where Peter is. This segment of Peter's life, maybe to his liking, is redacted. We don't have security cam footage. We can only guess where he might be. Where would you be? Where do you go when you fail? Where do you go when you're faced with the darkness of your own heart and soul? Did he end up at Ibrahim's tavern, bellied up to the bar? Why so down, fella? I messed up. You think? (laughs) I don't know. He went somewhere. He went somewhere. What we do know is that God is dead. For a moment, Nietzsche is right. God is dead. For now. But there's another question. When Jesus dies, where does he go? Where's Jesus in this moment? We can't say for sure, because none of us were there. (laughs) We weren't there. But something happened after Jesus died physically. This is where God took me this week. It's been where he's been kind of taking me for months, actually. I don't know if anybody grew up saying this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and an earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Say what? And then rose again from the dead on the third day. He descended into hell. There's a lot of debate over this phrase. But it made it into the creed for a reason. Did you know that this was universally affirmed by the church for the first 1,500 years? 1,500 years. Oh, Reformation. Love some of the things that happened out of the Reformation, obviously. (laughs) But there were some ways that they swung a little hard. 1,500 years, nobody debated this. He descended into hell. Now, this hell isn't the hell of eternal judgment and damnation. 
The Bible uses different words for Sheol, Hades, hell. This is the grave. This is a temporary holding place until the final judgment. We haven't been there. We don't have direct scripture that says this is exactly what it is, but we get hints. Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable of a rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man is dead in Sheol, in Hades, and in agony. And he wants the guy who always served him to come and put water on his tongue because he's in agony. And God says to the man, there is a great chasm between us, which no man can cross. Sorry. A couple other verses, and I actually have these for you on the screen, but I want you to think about what Jesus was doing and where he was. First Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And look at this little verse in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. Huh? Ephesians 4, for it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And you may say, whoa, wait, 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 wait. What about the thief on the cross? Didn't Jesus say today you will be with me in paradise? How can Jesus be in paradise and also be in hell? And this is why theologians have been flipping out about you can't say he descended into hell. My short answer, the Trinity. The Trinity, God is in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Where can I go and escape from your spirit? Nowhere. Nowhere, that's my short answer. But just for the sake of imagination and allowing the scripture to be the scripture, which doesn't always want you to just slice it and dice it like it's a living body on an autopsy table, okay? You let it be what it is, and it is trying to teach us something that what was happening when Jesus died on the cross and after he died was important. It was important. What is Jesus doing if he descended to the lower parts of the earth, the underworld, Hades, Sheol? In short, proclaiming just what happened on the cross. He's going where no human has ever gone and come back. No human has ever gone to this place and come back. When he breathed his last breath on earth, Jesus enters the darkness. Now we think, yeah, that's so great. Look at what he did for me. He died for my sins and he did. He paid the price. That's great. But scripture tells us there's more going on. There's more happening. He is proclaiming to spirits in prison. He is descending to the lower parts of the earth, which any Jew who read that, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures would say, that is Sheol. That is the lower parts of the earth. So why is this important? I, uh, my grandmother had a house in our neighborhood and she called me one day and she said, Chad, I need you up here right now. And I went up there. I was like, grandma, I'm on my way. I came up there. She said, there's something dead under the house. I was like, oh no. 
She goes, I need you to go in there and get it. And it's like, this is like movie scenes. Like, don't go in there. You guys, you watch the movies, any horror movies or scary movies, what do they do to us? What do they do to us when we watch? They have people and we say, don't go in there. And they go in there anyway. And you're like, no, I can't watch. I can't watch. I got to watch. I can't watch. So I, it was so bad. I, I could smell it before I even got close. And it wasn't like a nice big underneath part of the house. This is crawl space. This is crawl space in Tennessee in the summer. <laughs> and it has been doing its work on what would turn out to be a possum that was dead. Uh, and so I wrapped my face in as many things as I could find. I put on gloves and I opened. And what was funny was my brother-in-law, Al, was standing there and he's like laughing as I'm doing this. And I'm crawling and I'm going, Ugh! like the whole time and I have a big trash bag and I grab this stiff possum (laughs) and shove him in the bag and get out there and try to keep from throwing up. Somebody had to go in there. Now that's a small thing, but Jesus had to go where death was. Now, if, if you, uh, are going to be with us in the next few weeks. We're going to be starting a series in Revelation. One of the verses in Revelation 1.18 says that Jesus not only went in there, he came out, and if you could hear him walking, you could hear some keys jangling on his hip. I have the keys to death and hell, actually. Death and Hades. I have the keys. I took him. What was Jesus doing when he entered the darkness? Now, I'm new on this stuff as far as my real, my understanding. So I'm no expert at all, but I'm open and there's good history, orthodox teaching in the church that this is an important topic to think about what was accomplished. You know, for the first few hundred, even a thousand years of the church, what did they, would they describe what Jesus did on the cross? Today, we talk about, he paid for my sins. It's a theory called penal substitutionary atonement. We say, and it is, Isaiah 53, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. We need him to pay for that. But you know what most of the church was saying for the first thousand years or so? A theory called Christus Victor. Jesus wins. Christ is the winner. That's what he was doing, he was conquering Death and hell. There's a great scholar named Dr. Justin Bass. He has a book called The Battle for the Keys, Revelation 118, and Christ's Descent into the Underworld. Now, it isn't as exciting as the title because it's a scholarly work, but I've learned to, with crossed eyes, read through the lines on some of these books and find some really exciting thoughts. And I get excited thinking about Jesus going in and going up to the door of hell and going, I'm coming in. I'm coming in. My summary of this deep, heady, scholarly work is this. Jesus went to the underworld and basically said, I win. I win. I win. This is so much more than having your sins washed away. That's the first part. This is just the beginning. It is an inauguration of the king of glory who just 
dealt a fatal blow to death itself. We don't know where Peter is. And if he could answer in this moment the question, where are you? It would be not physical location, but it would be Genesis 3 question, where are you? Where's your heart? Where's your soul? And I think Peter would say, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at. Let this idea of Jesus doing something after he died, proclaiming to spirits in prison. There are other Old Testament passages that speak to this as well. Other New Testament passages, but just for a moment, let it simmer. It's not a load-bearing wall in Christianity. It's not a load-bearing wall. If you land somewhere else on this, that's why the good people have said, I don't believe he descended into hell. I like it. I like it. I like the idea of Jesus going down and not just symbolically dying on the cross, but actually kicking death in the mouth. Yeah, I like it. So where is Peter, though? We find out the last few verses. Luke 24, very familiar, the ones you usually hear right away. But here we go. Verse 1, on the first day of the week, that's today, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. The first Easter was not to have a great meal and to celebrate, to look for eggs, to eat bunny, whatever. It was a burial. It was a funeral. They were coming to finish the job. They usually would wrap a body in a hundred pounds of spices. Anybody guess why? It smells. Death, smell. I know. I was under the house. Okay. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were perplexed about this. Suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. The other texts of the gospels tell us these were angels. So the women were terrified. Always happens. Always, always, always happens when people see angels. They never go, aw, <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> they think they're going to die. So the women bowed down to the ground and they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He's not here. Let me tell you where he's been though. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying it is necessary that the son of man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. They did not believe the women. Can I just tell you something? Always believe the women. <laughs> Always believe the women. Jesus, this is astonishing too. Jesus entrusted to these women, first, this news. And you may be like, what's the big deal? Because back then, women couldn't vote. Women weren't seen as equals. Women couldn't learn. And if you wanted to put a reliable testimony about something really important happening in a historical document, you would not say, and the women were the first to see it. They'd be like, oh, Jesus said, you want to know what I think of women? I'm telling them first. I'm telling them first. Always believe the women. They didn't. But, because these words seem to them like nonsense, Peter, however, good boy, 
Way to go. (laughs) Got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. The stone is moved. For whom? I used to think that Jesus woke up, unwrapped himself, and then stood behind the rock and said, Hey, open this. Somebody, like, I I mean, you know, you think about these stories and you're like, ah, because, you know, you think about the stone is rolled away. It's like, yeah, who did it? Who is the stone moved for? Not Jesus. He's gone. He's already making his trek through the underworld. He's been busy. It was moved for them. The stone was moved for you. For me, for Peter. The angels, and they had to love that they were given this assignment. I bet they get back to heaven, all the other angels were like, yeah, you lucky. <laughs> like, that's right, we got to say it, we got to say it. He is not here, he has risen. He had to suffer, he had to be betrayed, he had to be crucified, he had to rise. And then the pieces start coming together. And the truth they heard on that first Easter still rings true today. And what is it? Jesus triumphs over the darkness. He looks into the darkness's eyes. He enters the darkness and he triumphs over the darkness. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. When you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him. And forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Who are those people? It's not the Romans. It's not the Jews. It's those guys down there. Underworld authorities. He disarmed them and disgraced them publicly He triumphed over them in him. The women tell the disciples, most of them don't believe. Peter runs. We know from archaeological evidence of seeing these tombs that the stone, the opening for where the stone was, was probably three to four feet tall. You can find those today. There's a garden tomb that they take you to when you're in Israel, it's not the place. It's not the place where it happened, but there are plenty others that you find and you see, and it's like this little opening. And the way they buried people back then was you would go into this big open room, and then there were these smaller things in the wall, ossuaries is what they would put in there. And basically what they did was they put people on this preparation table in the middle of the room. They wrapped them and they waited for, sorry, it's kind of gross, but the body to decay and that there would, all there would be left would be bones. They would go back after some time. They would take the bones. They would put them in these smaller boxes and shove them into the walls. And so Jesus is on the preparation table in the middle of the room, not quite prepared. And the women are coming back to finish the job. And so when they go and when everybody comes, and I want you to see this, they have to get down and crawl in. It's not easy. 
It's kind of scary. But Peter, and it says it right there, he stooped to look in. Wanted to see. John 20 tells us that the grave clothes were lying neatly with the head covering off to the side of the body cloth. So Jesus didn't like, and then just run. Okay? He took his time. And there's other, there are other theories that, may, you know, you see this in the Passion movie where it's just like, you know, and they just kind of melts. And they say that lying neatly maybe meant that the clothes were just there still wrapped. But it actually tells us that, no, there were the body cloths and then there was the head covering that had been also unwrapped and then kind of folded neatly back up. These are important details to think about. Easter 2023 is also Easter, whatever, 33. You want important things that happened in time and space. And so, oh yeah, evidence, there was the grave clothes. The grave clothes were folded neatly and put aside. Who were those for? For them to see. Why was the stone moved? For them to see. Peter has to stoop though to look. You must humble yourself. To look. You must answer the question, where are you, Peter? I am nowhere without you, Jesus. You get low to see him looking at you with an eternal love, and you hear his voice saying, I win. I did it. Receive it. Don't earn it. Receive it. Easter 2023, let's talk about Easter about 50. So 33, 32, 33, what they would say was the first one. So let's talk 20 years later, only 20. Who remembers 20 years ago? Some of you would be like, I wasn't alive. <laughs> but I remember, I remember 20 years ago, a couple years after 9-11, we're in war, like there's all, I remember what, who I was working and all this kind of stuff. So we, we can remember, you can probably piece back together if I sat down with you today and asked you, hey, tell me about something 20 years ago. You're like, well, let me, okay, I remember this one moment. So 20 years after this moment, Paul writes a letter to a church in Corinth, just 20 years. But actually what he writes, they say was put together within months of Jesus rising from the dead. Just months, the church got together and said, let's put this together. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says this, and it's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen. Paul says, I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Now, I didn't make this up. They gave it to me. Christ died for our sins. This is the first creed. You know, the Apostles' Creed came along like 400 AD. This is months AD. Within a few months of Jesus rising from the dead, this creed started to be circulated among the church. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, then the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. I believe. Another person telling you. So I want to direct you back to Mackenzie's story. 
And I want you to just think about, and, and I, as I was listening to her, there were several phrases that through tears as I was watching this at home kind of jumped out for me. In the same way when I listen to stories, other people's stories about Jesus, there are parts that just hit me. One was it came together like puzzle pieces. I was like, mm-hmm. Yep, I recognize that. That happens. The other part was this. I don't know if you caught this. How many days after her surgery was she able to see? Three days. I was like, yes, Jesus, good one. Before that, and actually if you were to ask her, hey, where were you after you got hit by a car? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Peter didn't know what was happening. Peter wasn't doing anything for himself when he left Jesus that night after the look. Jesus was doing the work. Mackenzie didn't have the ability to look at her own injuries and make the right decisions. She needed paramedics. She needed nurses. She needed doctors. She needed experts to look and to make perfect decisions. And God was doing these things and more. The Spirit in presence of God, hovering over her, seeing her, loving her, calling her. And I love that doctor. I don't know who he is, but man, what a question and what a statement. You need to find your purpose. You need to find your purpose. And God healing, healing. I'm not sure if you heard or were moved in the same way that I was, but man, it was like resurrection power just pouring out of her story and her words. Three days, and then she was able to see. And I would say she was seen and loved and carried and saved. Jesus looks at our darkness. He enters that darkness. He triumphs over that darkness. And we, while we were still sinners, <laughs> Christ died for us. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing a couple more songs. One of them is called Anastasis. And if anybody doesn't know what that word means, it's Greek for resurrection. You'll actually probably recognize the song, but sometimes it's cool to know what those names are. Let's pray together as we uh, finish up the service. Lord, thank you for... God, I just thank you for new things to learn about uh, who you are and what you're doing, uh, Lord, even in my own life. Lord, I thank you that I can read this story for uh, the hundredth time and be overwhelmed at the way you put pieces back together. And God, how you don't flinch when you look into the darkness of our sin. Lord, you don't turn away. You don't say, I didn't sign up for this. You say, it's exactly what I signed up for. Lord, our only response, our only job, if you will, Lord, is, is to receive. But there is some stooping that has to happen. There is a moment of, I could just sit here and say with the rest of the disciples, I think this is nonsense. Or you could get up and run. You could stoop down. And Lord, he didn't even get to see you yet. But Lord, he was amazed at the hope, amazed at the possibility of your love and your grace and your mercy winning. Lord, thank you. However it happened, whatever happened, the timing, thank you that you made a public disgrace of the enemy. You shamed 
the authorities of the underworld, Lord, those that have held us in chains and in our own sin. God, thank you that you are victorious. We pray, uh, Lord, that you would give us the grace this morning to respond to you, to follow you, to believe, or to find our purpose in you. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.